Welcome to Overlooked, a podcast produced by Tunuka Media. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. Released weekly, I share Overlooked stories from around the world with you. This will include the good, the bad, the weird, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast to your regular podcast rotation, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect on social media. Just search for Tunuka Media. That is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. If you learned something new, kindly support the show. Give Overlooked a like or a high rating. This would really help the show grow and get more people like you to learn something new. Finally, if you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please don't hesitate to share them. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode. This week I do have four stories for you, including one that is uh, very close to home for me as well. And I'll talk to that as the last story. In the first story this week, the metal mining giant Rio Tinto has demolished the Duke and Gorge Caves in the Pilbara region of Western Australia in late May. The destruction has been referred to as an incomprehensible mistake, even though reports have emerged showing that the company knew of the site's significance for almost six years. The caves were a sacred indigenous heritage site with evidence of human occupation stretching back over 46,000 years. The two cave systems were the only inland site in Australia to show evidence of continual human occupation through the last ice age and numerous ancient artifacts had been recovered there. The Putukunti Kurama and Pinigura or PKKP which is a body representing indigenous people of the region, said that it had applied to visit the site and negotiate to stop the blast or limit the damage, but were told explosives had already been laid and it was impossible to remove them. The demolitions actually went ahead with the necessary approvals in place. In Australia, heritage sites fall under the control of states and territories and Western Australian law allows the government approval to be given to destroy culturally significant sites, but does not allow consent to be revoked. Rio Tinto's work approvals were first granted at the Brockman 4 iron ore project in 2013, but archaeological excavation in 2014 recovered around 7,000 ancient artifacts, including grinding stones, a bone sharpened into a tool, and a 4,000-year-old braided hair belt, analysis of which revealed a direct genetic link between the PKKP today and the prehistoric cave-dwelling population. The incident has sparked international outrage with one UNESCO expert comparing the legal laws of Jukan Gorge Caves by Rio Tinto to ISIS's demolition of Palmyra. Rio Tinto's iron ore chief executive, Chris Sainsbury, has since apologized for the distress the company caused. In addition, Federal Indigenous Affairs Minister Ken Wyatt has this week flagged a need to strengthen the protection of indigenous sites, while his state counterpart said 
Western Australia will be moving to fix the out-of-date legislation. The Russian President Vladimir Putin has declared a state of emergency in the city of Norilsk after a massive oil spill in the Arctic region. An estimated 20,000 tons of fuel from a power plant spilled onto the road and a large part made its way onto the Amburiana River in Siberia on May 29. According to various reports, the leak was caused by an accidental damage to a diesel fuel storage tank at a plant operated by a subsidiary of Norsk Nickel and a cleanup effort is currently underway. On Twitter, the company, which is a major producer of palladium, a high-grade metal nickel, platinum and copper, said it would do its best to resolve the issue. The Russian government's environmental agency is assisting the company with the joint aerial operations of the river to search for possible diesel contamination occurrences. The Democratic Republic of Congo has declared a new Ebola epidemic Monday in the western city of Mbandaka, more than 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles away from an ongoing outbreak in the east. There have been six confirmed cases and four deaths. The health minister, Iteni Longondo, said four people who died were confirmed as positive cases following tests and vaccines will be quickly sent to Mbandaka. The Democratic Republic of Congo has been struggling to put an end to a nearly two-year-old Ebola outbreak near its eastern borders with Rwanda and Uganda, which has left nearly 2,200 people dead. The current epidemic has been the second deadliest outbreak of the disease on record. Authorities were hoping to declare an end to the current outbreak in April, with cases rapidly receding. But a flare-up in the East put all that on hold. This will be the Republic's 11th outbreak since 1976. This is the last story for this week's episode. However, prior to starting the story, please note that I'm about to talk about sensitive topics including rape and sexual assault. Understandably, if these are difficult to listen to or if these are triggers for you, please feel free to end the episode here. Thank you so much for listening so far. There has been widespread outrage in the West African country of Nigeria following the murder of a 22-year-old university student in a church where she was studying in the southern city of Benin. The family of Uwavera Omozua, also known as Uwa, say that she was brutally raped and bludgeoned to death. On Wednesday, May 30th, the student was found lying half-naked in a pool of blood at the Redeemed Church where she had been a member of the choir for many years. Despite the best efforts of the doctors to save her life, Omozua, whom her family described as kind and intelligent, died a few days after the attack. Uwa was studying microbiology at the university, but her passion was theology. Her death is part of a recent spate of violence involving young women in Nigeria, and the killing has become a rallying cry as women call on authorities to tackle gender-based violence in the country. Some of the recent incidents include a 12-year-old girl who was raped for over two months in the northwest state of Jigawa. Eleven arrests have been made in that case. Tina Ezekwe was killed by a policeman in southwestern Lagos state. Two policemen have been arrested. Barakat Belo was allegedly gang-raped and murdered in southwest Oyo state. No arrest has been made. A 17-year-old girl was gang-raped in the southwest state of Ekiti. 
two arrests have been made. This growing list of shocking cases in the past two weeks has led to street protests, an online petition to end sexual violence in Nigeria, and the Twitter hashtag, we are tired. In fact, as at the time of this recording, I watched a video where a mother had beaten her own two-year-old daughter, accusing her of asking for it. I'm referring to her as a prostitute after she had found out that this two-year-old child was being abused by a man. No charges have been laid against him. The video can be found on Linda Cage's blog on Instagram. It was posted June 6th. These stories and the entrenched attitude of victim blaming is nothing new. In fact, in the BBC article that I primarily referenced for this story, a lady named Miss Ebe recalls how after she was assaulted at six years old and she reported, the home helper poured a bucket full of hot water on her to keep her quiet. She was burned so badly that she missed a year of school. Many Nigerians point to a legal system they say makes it very hard or difficult to convict successful Many Nigerians have pointed to a legal system that is said to make it hard to convict suspected rapists and blames women when they are victims of sexual assault. Violence against women is a daily reality in Nigeria, where 25% of girls and 10% of boys may have experienced some form of sexual violence or another before the age of 18, according to UNICEF. This comes out to about 9 million girls and 4 million boys under 19 that would have experienced one form or another of sexual violence. Now, once you digest that number, it gets slightly worse because when we put it against the backdrop that shows that there has been only 65 recorded rape convictions since 1975 to 2019, and this is according to the International Center for Investigative Reporting, it makes the situation even more stark. This contrast can be attributed to a culture of victim blaming, extortion by the police, and inefficiencies of the judiciary. There is also a lack of an aggregated record of sexual offenders in Nigeria. In a country where senators openly marry 13-year-old girls, a lot of crimes continue to go unreported, and it's hard to expect justice. Some victims and their families, fearing stigmatization, police extortion, and a lack of trust in the judicial process, choose not to report these cases to these same authorities. There have also been instances where those brave enough to report are targeted with derogatory comments at the police station itself. For example, in the case of Uwa, as her family have now accused the police of making snide comments and demanding bribes before even starting to investigate the case. Specifically, her father was allegedly called a foolish man after which he was asked by a police officer if he was the first one to ever have a daughter who had been raped. Basically, are you the first one? Why are you making too much noise? Following the recent outburst of national outrage, police have now announced that they have made an arrest in the case of Uwa. Nigeria's police chief has also announced special investigations will be deployed to gender desks at police stations across the country to respond to increasing challenges of sexual assault and gender-based violence. Nigeria's president, Muhammadu Buhari, has called Uwa's killing a barbaric act in a tweet on Tuesday and offered his deepest condolences to friends and the victim's family. 
Meanwhile, human rights group Amnesty International has called on the Nigerian government to declare a national crisis on rape. Following weeks of protests in the states where their fights for the life of black people and their fights for the lives of those who are misrepresented and underrepresented, I bet you're wondering, how can I help? First of all, if you could, follow the hashtag, we are tired. There you can actually see the faces of people who have come forward so bravely to talk about their stories and their experiences. There's another hashtag, say no to rape, which you can obviously follow on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever your social media is. If in your own local community or in your own country, something similar is happening, speak out as much as you can. Do not victim blame. Do not be an apologist for rapists. Don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. And finally, I've added resources in the links to show notes on my social media, especially for those in Nigeria, where you can donate and help to support the cause to end gender-based violence in the country. This story was a particularly hard one for me to articulate. Where do you start from when a mom accuses a two-year-old child of being a prostitute, of asking for it. That is wrong. Seeing that being Nigerian, and in the context of everything going on globally, you know, the march for equality, the march for equity, the march for those underrepresented, seeing that, where do you start? It's really hard. It should make your heart lead. For those who have to live that reality every single day. Anyway, I'm done. So thank you for listening. As always, links and references are going to be in the blog. Please like, share, subscribe, and kindly avail yourselves of some of the resources that I ha- I will be sharing across my social media and on the blog to help support those who are living through the reality of gender-based or sexual violence. Thank you very much and have yourself a great week. Thanks for listening, friends. As a reminder, the podcast is released weekly. Subscribe or follow across social media to be notified when a new episode is released. Overlooked is a Tunuka Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. Follow Tunuka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to connect to say hi, or to be on the forefront of upcoming shows and program schedules. Until next time, I'm your host Yemi, wishing you a better tomorrow.